Now I encourage you to join me in Hebrews 6, verses 1 to 12. Hebrews 6, 1 to 12. And let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for our law enforcement, for those who do protect us, who uphold order and law. We pray that we as a church would support them, would support their families, would pray for them regularly and encourage them and uh, the responsibility that they have in a job that so often is overlooked and a job in which uh, is very stressful. And I pray that we as a church would support them and love them in that. Heavenly Father, we pray now even this morning as we turn our attention to the Word of God, we pray that even as we just confessed in song, that the Spirit would come and that you would work through the Word, that you would give us strength for every day, that you would give us grace for every hurdle. Even today, as we look at this passage, may it shake us from our foundation, wake us up to the reality of eternity, to the call of the Christian life, the daily faithfulness and diligence that we are called to. And even this morning, may we commit to be diligent. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give me boldness as I proclaim the word of God to speak with clarity, not with fear. Give me authority as I speak the word of God that you may be honored in all that is said and done. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, today is January 9th. So, if you are one of those who likes to set New Year's resolutions, you are nine days into your resolutions. Probably 50% of you have probably already failed in those resolutions. <laughs> it's often a joke that we make at the New Year, is it not? Resolutions, everyone's going out and joining gyms and starting diets, and it doesn't take long before it gets more difficult. <laughs> The problem is not the intention or the passion when you start. Right? New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, we're all passionate about this. This is the diet. I know the last 50 failed, but, but this is the one. I'm going to be faithful this time. This is the gym. The problem was that other gym didn't have this machine, but this is the gym that I need. This is the Bible reading program that I need to be on. We start with good intentions. We start with passion. And the problem is not the passion or the intention that we start with, but the diligence and the discipline to faithfully keep our commitments. That's where we fall short. It's in that daily diligence. It's easy to look at a, at a resolution. We look at the whole year. Yes, I can do this. But then when day two comes and day three comes, it gets harder and harder to be diligent. The reality is life just gets in the way. You have every intention of doing that. You have every intention of doing devotions with your children, even as we committed to last Sunday. And then by Wednesday, church goes along. You get caught talking to someone. You get home late. The kids are tired and they're whining. You're trying to get dinner together and there's just no time 
Life gets in the way. This morning, the author of Hebrews pleads with his readers to be diligent to endure. Be faithful to the end. The passage that we are in this morning is connected to the passage we were in last week, the end of chapter 5, verses 12 to 14, where he takes a pause from the larger lesson that he's teaching on Christ and Melchizedek and what that means for us. And he takes a pause and he says, but hold on. This is important, but, but, but you're not at a place where you can handle this yet. You still need milk. You're not ready for the meat of the word. He's continuing that challenge on. Where he's sitting down with his hand on the shoulder of his readers and he's speaking deeply into them. Wake up. Take this call of the Christian life seriously. Be faithful. Be diligent. Life is hard. It has its ups and downs. It gets busy. But do not allow life to get in the way of eternity. Stay focused. And so this morning, as we work our way through this passage, we'll see a call to action, a word of caution, and a word of encouragement. First thing we see in verses 1 to 3 of chapter 6 is a call to action. A call to action. Therefore, chapter 6 starts out, therefore, based on verses 12, 13, and 14, this, this need to move on from spiritual immaturity to grow in the Lord. Therefore, because this is necessary, because you must be growing. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. Leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ. The idea here is not forget those. You've moved beyond those. You don't need those anymore. Just forget about them. Erase them from your mind. That's not the idea when he says here, leaving or go on. The idea is more, now that you've laid that foundation, build on that foundation. Move forward because of these foundational truths. In these foundational truths. We understand this principle. That's why each grade in school gets a little bit harder. It builds on the foundation that was built before. Clinton and Judah are now in first grade, and they're building on the foundation that was laid in kindergarten. Now that they're in first grade, they don't move beyond the letters. They, they don't move past the letters that they learned in K-5. They build on those letters, and now they're putting them together, and they're learning to read. They don't, move be, they don't forget about the numbers. Now they learn to put them together and to add and to subtract. There's progress that is made. Building on that foundation, these elementary principles that have been laid. So leaving this discussion, growing out of this, through this, building on top of these things, let us go on. Notice the simple word there, us. The author to the Hebrews does not say, let your pastors let those who are more mature, let them move on. Let your Sunday school teachers move on. But it's okay for you to stay where you are. He says, let us, all of us, together. Spiritual maturity is not the goal of the elite Christian. 
God doesn't put us in categories like that, but we tend to, do we not? We think, well, he's an elite Christian. I'm just a normal Christian. He's, he's better than I am. God doesn't see us that way, but we tend to see each other that way. To our shame, we shouldn't. But spiritual maturity is not the goal of just elite Christians. It is the expectation of every Christian. Everyone who is in Christ, no matter how big or how small, we should all be progressing. We should all be growing. It is expected of all of us. So let us, together, let us go on to perfection. To sanctification. Keep growing in the Lord. Not laying again the foundation. Now, moving on here in verses, the end of verse 1 and verse 2. He's reviewing what this foundation is. What, what are these elementary principles, these, this, this foundation upon which we're building? There's really three groups of two that are listed here. Repentance from dead works and a faith toward God. So repentance and faith, two things that are needed for salvation. Recognizing that you are a sinner, that you have offended a holy God and confessing that sin. And then believing in what he has said and what Jesus Christ has done for you. Believing in his death, not in your works. Clinging to his righteousness. Faith towards God. Confessing your sin and believing God. Salvation. This is the very beginning of the Christian life. Repentance and faith moving beyond this foundation of the fact that you are saved. You've confessed your sin. You've placed your faith in Christ alone for salvation. That is good. But that's not the end. That's the starting point. Next, you go into verse 2. We have two more things added. Of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands. Really, the word there, baptisms, the idea of washings. And really, this is the hardest of all of these groups to kind of wrap our minds around what he's getting at. I think as we're trying to wrap our minds around this, we have to back up. We have to remember who he's writing to. He's writing to Jewish believers. And their greatest struggle is the temptation to go back to Judaism. To go back to the Old Testament. To cling to the law. To look to that and the washings, and the sacrifices. But there's a difference now. Now that you are in Christ, now that you have been saved, you've moved beyond that. You're not relying on the law. You've placed your faith in Christ. You've repented of your sin. So the idea, the doctrine of baptisms, it's almost put up as uh, opposed to the washings in the Old Testament. Not, not those washings. Not those cleansings. But look to your cleansing in Christ. Look to your baptism and what that proclaims. Same with laying on of hands. The laying on of hands often in the Old Testament was, was to set someone aside. This person is specifically set aside to serve the Lord. 
When the New Testament in Acts 8.17 and 19.6, the laying on of hands ties to the coming of the Spirit. We are all set aside for the ministry. We are all indwelt by the Spirit. And so really you have the first two, repentance and faith. You are saved. And then here you have two other things that tie to the beginning of salvation. It's beginning in the Christian life. You've been identified with Christ and you've been equipped with the Spirit. I think that's the easiest way to, the, the best way to understand this. You are saved. You are identified, set apart. You are equipped. And then finally, of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgments. This last group of two. Resurrection and judgment. Looking ahead to the end. The fact that we will stand before God. That we will answer for what we have done. Resurrection and judgment. You are saved. You've been identified. You've been equipped. You've been set apart. And you will stand before God. This is that foundation that he is talking about. It's the basic gospel message. You've been saved. You've been set apart. You've been filled with the Spirit and equipped to do all that God has called you to and you will stand before God. Therefore, in light of eternity, in light of the gospel, you must grow in the Lord. You must build on these foundations, these truths. In verse 3, we have a, a final little note here, and yet a significant note. And this we will do if God permits. In this call to action, there's a call to personal responsibility. This is your responsibility as a believer, to grow to be diligent, to be faithful, to pursue sanctification. And yet, even as you recognize your personal responsibility, you must also recognize and confess God's sovereignty and His divine enabling. Yes, you must pursue this, but as you pursue it, and as you are faithful, you must recognize that you cannot do this apart from God's enabling grace, apart from His sovereign call to you and His equipping of you. And that's good news to us. Because if we were responsible to do this ourselves, we would fail miserably. We already fail miserably. And so those last few words here in verse 3, this, this initial call to action, those are significant. Recognize God's sovereignty in your life. Recognize His enabling grace. His work. So you be faithful. And while you're faithful, lean on Him. And trust in him and watch him work. But you be faithful too. So here in these first few verses you have a call to action. Leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ. Let us go on to perfection. Build on this foundation that has been laid of the gospel. And grow in the Lord. Now as you come to verses 4 to 8. This is where he, he really starts to grab us by the shoulders and to shake us and say. Wake up and take this seriously. Verses 4 to 8, we have a word of caution. For it is impossible. Note that language there. That is strong language. It is impossible. For those who were once enlightened 
and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come if they fall away to renew them again to repentance. There's a lot there. It is impossible for those who were once enlightened. Notice there the word once. It implies that although they were one time here, they are no longer here. So what's going on? This might at first seem like a confusing passage. We know from the larger teaching of Scripture that you cannot lose your salvation. Though at first read, this is what this sounds like. That if we're not faithful, maybe we'll lose our salvation. But we know that's not what God's saying. Because we know what the Word of God says in this larger context. So what is it saying? For those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift. Note that word tasted. It's used twice here. It's the idea of just to, 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 to touch, to taste, an initial interaction with. They have been enlightened. They have tasted the heavenly gift. The idea here is those who have claimed Christ and have served his church. And yet what we'll see in here is that they never truly believed. As those who like, those who look like Christians and and they even claim Christ, and yet their failure to persevere testifies to their true identity and ultimately condemns them. They were once enlightened. They knew the truth. This isn't someone who just heard the gospel one time and was confused by it and didn't really grasp it or understanding. This is someone who understood. This is someone who has sat in church, who has heard the word expounded time and time again. And they're willing to embrace bits and pieces of it, but they've never really committed their life to Christ. They've never really placed their faith in Christ alone. They're always clinging to a little bit of their own merit, of their own works. They know the truth. They were once enlightened. They've tasted the heavenly gift. They've seen the church at work. They've seen the gospel in the lives of those around them. They've become the partakers of the Holy Spirit. Partaker is is the idea of just to participate in. They've seen the Holy Spirit at work in the lives of believers, at work in the church. They have witnessed that. Again, they have tasted the word of God. They've sat under the exposition of the word of God. They've tasted its sweetness. They've seen its work on those around them. And the powers of the age to come, likely even a reference to to miraculous works of, of, of miracles, they have sat under the preaching of the word of God. They have seen God work miracles. They have uh, these works that testify to the message of the gospel back in the first century. These works of the apostles of God through them, the works of the Holy Spirit, the working of the word, they have seen that. They've experienced that. And yet, they fall away. Connects back to the beginning of verse 4. It is impossible for someone who has seen this, who's experienced this, who has been enlightened. They've sat here. They've seen it. They they get it. They just don't believe it. 
It's impossible if they fall away to renew them again to repentance. Those who abandon the church and deny Christ knowing better. This is not someone who walks in the door for the first time and then walks away kind of having heard something but not really grasping it. This is someone who knows better. They've seen the spirit at work around them. They've heard the word of God. They've tasted some of that sweetness. They've seen the word and the spirit at work in the body. As we love one another, as we serve one another. But they don't personally believe. Maybe they're still hoping in the belief of their parents. But they've never personally believed. This is someone who denies Christ knowing better. They deliver themselves into the angry hands of a righteous, holy, and just God. And it is impossible if they fall away to renew them again to repentance. If they ultimately, having seen all this and experienced all this, if they ultimately come to the conclusion and they choose the world rather than the Lord, they are choosing hell rather than the grace of God. It's a shocking reality. But it is possible for someone who denies Christ and lives in rebellion to then turn again to repentance. Why? Since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. The reality is that in that they make a mockery of the cross of Christ. Rather than responding to the cross of Christ in awe and humble repentance as we should, they have an arrogant attitude supposing that Christ owed them or that they deserve his grace. They've been blinded to the truth and they can't see past that. And the reality that we see in this passage, the shocking reality, the reality that should grab us by the shoulders and scream at us to wake up, is that there comes a time when there are no more chances. There comes a time when you will deny Christ for the last time. When you will turn your back on salvation for the last time. In verses 7 to 8, the author of Hebrews here gives kind of an illustration in case we're struggling to, to grasp what he's saying here, to, to really drive it home. A picture that we understand, a picture of, of rain. The earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated receives blessing from God. In this picture, the, the rain is the, the word of God. It is these evidence that this... That these who have chosen to deny, in verses 4 through 6, is the evidence that they've seen. This is the rain that's coming down. Hearing the word of God, seeing the Spirit at work, seeing all of these things. Those who respond rightly to it are blessed by God, who respond in faith. But 
if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. These are those who sat under the word of God, but never bore the fruit of faith. Brothers and sisters, the word of God is alive, and it is active, and it will always produce something. Isaiah 55, 11 is a promise that my word will go forth and it will not return void. Every time the word is read or preached or proclaimed, it does something in your heart and in your life. The reality is that it will either produce faith or it will produce pride. It will either lead you to life or it will condemn you to death. But it will do something every time it goes forth because it is living and it is active. And it will not return void. And the author of Hebrews is pleading with his audience to take this seriously. Let the word produce faith. Believe. It's a word of caution. It opens our eyes to the reality that what is at stake is not just standing in the church. What is at stake is life and death. What is at stake is eternity. Don't take your life, your spiritual life, your faith, don't take it lightly. As we come to verse 9, we see a word of encouragement. And again here, this is where we, we, we very clearly see evidence that those who he's talking about in verses 4 to 6 are not believers and never were believers. That's what he says here, beloved, we are confident of better things of you concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation. So verses 4 to 6, that did not accompany salvation. They never had salvation. But as I look at you, I do see fruit of salvation. Notice the language here, beloved. The stern warning that he's bringing here in these verses comes not from a place of hate or jealousy, but from a place of love. I want you to see this because I love you. Because I care about you. Beloved, those that I love, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation. Though we speak in this manner. Verses 4 through 8, that, that is true and that is a real danger. But as I look at you, I do see evidence of faith. Though we speak in this manner, by opening their eyes to the reality of the end of the road that they are on, right? They're on this road. They're in a place where they've grown cold, where they've grown apathetic. And he's opening their eyes to the reality of where this road ends. This road that you are on, if you do not turn it around, if you do not wake up to who you are in Christ, then you might come to the realization down the, world, down the road that you were never in Christ. And that is not a road you want to travel on. So take it seriously and believe. Mm -hmm. He's stressing the importance of their present circumstances and their present faithfulness. This is a tactic that often parents will use, or guidance counselors, or even pastors. 
When you sit down with someone, you have a frank conversation with them. Maybe it's someone who's, who's dabbling in something that is dangerous. Maybe it's, it's a teen who's been caught speeding or drinking or, or whatever it may be. Nothing bad happened in the moment, but let me sit you down and let me take you where this road leads. If you keep on this road, this is where you'll end up. This is what is possible. So wake up to the reality now and drive carefully. Wake up to the reality now and say no to these addictive substances. That's not a road you want to go down. That's where the author of Hebrews is this morning. Guys, this is not a road that you want to go down. So wake up and take seriously your Christian life. Because your immaturity has put you in a dangerous position. So guard yourself and take your confession and your life seriously. Well, what is this fruit that he has seen in their life? We see that in verse 10. For God is not unjust. These are those better things that he's speaking of in verse 9 that he sees in there. God is not unjust to forget your works and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Where is it that he sees evidence of salvation in them? It is their love for one another. Your work and labor of love. Your work, your right action, you work for one another, and you do it from a place of love, because you truly care for one another. Your work is motivated by love for one another. What is it that Jesus said in John 13, 5? They will know you because of your love for one another. And their love for one another, motivated by love, working, right action for one another, have shown towards his name. It's to the end that God is glorified. They have the right motive. They're doing the right actions. They have the right goal. You want to glorify God. You are loving one another. You are serving one another. And so, yes, there is evidence of your salvation. Now, his warning is, it's not about what you do for one another if there's no faith beneath that. And so, yes, we look at that love for one another and we see evidence of faith. But what he's saying in the larger context is, is I back up, and yes, I see that, and there's evidence of faith, but then I back up and I see apathy. I see warning signs. So search your heart. That's what he goes on to say in verse 11. And we desire that each one of you, each one, individually, not that you would... Look at the person next to you and say, yes, you need to take this seriously. But that you yourself would search your heart. That you yourself would take this seriously. That each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. The same diligence, carefulness, purposefulness, earnestness. Have the same diligence to grow in your love for God as you do in sharing love to one another. That's easy to do, is it not? It's, it's easy to serve one another tirelessly. Easy, I say easy, it's not easy. But it's easier for us. 
someone needs help moving, it's easy for us to show up and help them if we've got a free afternoon. If someone needs a meal, it's easy for us to provide a meal. It's easy for us to pray for one another. And that's good. But that same diligence that you put towards that, put towards your faith. Put towards discipline. Read the word. Just as you look for opportunities to love your brother in Christ, look for opportunities to read the word of God. Look for opportunities to pray. Have the same diligence to grow in your love for God as you do showing love to one another. Hope until the end. Till the end. It's opposed to those in verses 4 to 6 who fall away. You be diligent. And you do not become sluggish. Again, that's the same word that we saw back in chapter 5, verse 11. I have much to say to you. It's hard to explain because you have become dull in hearing. You've become sluggish in hearing. You've become lazy in your hearing. But don't do that. Don't be sluggish. Don't be lazy when it comes to the things of the Lord. Be diligent. How? How do we do this? Because again, as we noted at the beginning, we all start out with this, right? There's that passion when you first get saved, that, that fire, that, that I want to serve the Lord. I want to do this. And it's not just then. There's times in our Christian life where we're on a mountaintop. We come back from camp, if you're a teen, or a retreat, if you're older, whatever it is, and, and we are ready to do the things of the Lord. We are faithful in our devotions. But then that fades over time. There's mountaintops and there's valleys. And, and, and how do we stay diligent? How do I fight that laziness? It's not just by mere discipline. But notice what he says here. How do I do this? Don't become sluggish. But, rather than being lazy, what do I do? Notice he doesn't say, buckle down. Get a planner and every day, right at the same time, to sit down and do it. He doesn't say that. He says, imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Imitate those. Really what we see here is the process of discipleship. Find someone to follow. How do I keep myself accountable? How do I stay diligent? You find someone else to walk that road with you. Someone else to keep you diligent. And maybe not just one person, but several people. Follow them. Say, hey, can, can I walk this road with you? Can you take me under your wing? I'll keep you accountable. You keep me accountable. Let's sit down Sunday morning after the service. Every week, let's have a, a regular appointment to sit down and talk about what we learned in the Word, how we're growing, how we're serving. Find someone to imitate. Notice that this person is someone who is more mature. Those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Patient faith is enduring faith. 
So I think it's also look back through the word of God, look back through church history and see those who've been faithful. There's real benefit to Christian biographies. There's real benefit to reading in the word of God of Paul's faithfulness and Peter's faithfulness and the faithfulness of all these who have gone before us. In fact, we'll be there in a few chapters in Hebrews. Remember that. And at the same time, find someone living who you can walk this road with. This is not a direct application from this passage. It's not dealing with the church necessarily. But I think there's very clear application here to church membership. It's a very clear thing that we see in the word of God that we need to be connected to a church. Why? Because we need brothers and sisters in Christ to hold us accountable. Every month we stand together and we say our commitment. This covenant that we as a church have agreed to. These are things that I will do. I will be faithful and I'm asking you to be faithful with me and you to hold me accountable and I'll hold you accountable as we proclaim our hope in Christ together. This whole idea of discipleship, it is built into church membership and it's one of the important reasons for church membership. Yes, it can happen outside of church, of the church. You you can find someone outside of your church to keep you accountable, but you should have someone in your church. To keep you accountable. So as we come to the end of this passage, it's a stark warning. It's a call to take seriously your Christian life in light of eternity. Because the reality this morning, as we come to the end of this passage, the reality is that any moment could be your last. We don't know what tomorrow holds. Every single one of us, regardless of age, is standing on the edge of eternity. There's not a person in here who is one breath, who is not just one breath away from too late. And this is what the author of Hebrews is pleading with us to understand. To wake us up from our apathy and to call us to diligence. So believe. And don't stop believing. Be faithful to the end. And so last week in Hebrews 5, 11 to 14, we saw the call to wake up and to take seriously our faith. To move beyond milk to meat. And then this week, building on that idea, in Hebrews 6, 1 to 12, we see the call to then keep on. The call to diligence. To keep growing. To not stop. Really what it comes down to is that long-term faithfulness is the result of daily diligence. Long-term faithfulness is the result of daily diligence. Read your Bible today. And then tomorrow, read your Bible again. Children, start by obeying your parents today. Wives, start by submitting to your husbands today. Husbands, start by loving your wives today. Parents, bring your children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord today. You who are single, serve the Lord today where you are. Don't worry about tomorrow. God will take care of it. 
you be faithful today. Christian, read your Bible today. Christian, find someone to follow today so that tomorrow you are not lost. Be a disciple and make a disciple. Brothers and sisters, we must take seriously this call to diligence. We must not waver in our Christian life or become apathetic or lazy or slow down because it is eternity that is at stake. 